All right, Travis, welcome back from Disney World, episode three of Tollgate 8. How was Disney? Disney was awesome. What did you do? Seven days in the park, we did um, all of the big rides. And, you know, what's crazy about Disney World is that we've been like 11 years in a row now with the kiddos, and there's still things in Disney World that I've never experienced before. So there was... um, an attraction at Animal Kingdom. It was called like Lights on the River or something. Mm-hmm. We just be, happened to be in that spot and that show was going on. So Nash and I walked in there and it's incredible. Disney does everything right, but that's right. We had a good time. No opportunities for process improvement. Oh, and <laughs> no, they're perfect. <laughs> they're as close as perfection as you right. can get. Yeah. Well, welcome back. I'm glad you're back. Thank you. And um, I know in the last episode, I don't know how you did it, but you let me talk for 10 minutes straight. So I'm committing to you today that you have I've, no problem talking for 10 minutes. Thank straight. you. Right. And in, in fact, I'd probably still be talking if that's I didn't right. To Disney, so That's right. in this episode, I'm going to ask you the questions. All right, lay it on and me. So, um, you know, you went to medical school. Um, what what drove you? I think into that profession. Was there anything for you personally that got you into this medical field? Yeah. So I don't have the I don't have the heart tugging, heartstring tugging story of why I went into medicine. I you know uh, wanted to be a pilot. Uh, growing up and and got my pilot's license when I was 16. Um, thought I wanted to fly in the in the military. Got accepted to the Air Force Academy, and um, on the day the day after I got accepted, the guy called me and said, "Hey, congratulations! You got accepted to the Air Force Academy, but you know that you can't fly because of your vision. So what do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, I'm not sure I want to go to the Air Force Academy if I can't fly," and um, decided that. You know, medicine sounded challenging, and I would I would uh, try and go to medical school. So, went to University of Georgia, um, and got a chemistry degree, and then and then went to the uh, medical college of Georgia afterwards. But a lot of people have the the you know heartwarming story of how they went into medicine, but I I did it more because it was a challenge, which which I think helps me because it it. Um, it allowed me to see some of the waste in healthcare and some of the other things, uh, opportunities for improvement. I remember when I was a medical student, I was probably, I was probably a third-year medical student because I was on the on the wards doing rotations, and we had a guy came in that gave grand rounds one day and spoke on. Uh, he had been in the um, United Kingdom. He wasn't a physician, but had worked in the United Kingdom. For a long time in their healthcare system, and gave a, um, a grand rounds on quality outcomes and value, and I remember you know being really excited about that topic and wanting to understand you know what is value in healthcare and what's the value of, of the procedures and tests and diagnoses and everything that we do, and um, you know spent a long time after that thinking about that, and I think that was my natural progression. That once I finished my residency and started practicing, I was always interested in quality improvement, and certainly of technology. And um, and then that was a natural progression for me when when I came to community. Well, I know it wasn't a heartwarming story, but I, I still think that um, you know your path has led you to be exactly where you needed to be. And I, I know a lot of people in the the organization and the patients you serve are glad you landed where you landed, Patrick. So sure. thanks for sharing that story. And you know, there's a lot of overlaps too between, obviously there's a lot of overlaps between flying in the airline industry and, uh, 
and, and, and there's a lot of books that have been written about how healthcare should be more like the airline industry and flying and, you know, you, a lot of use of checklists. And, and um, I always remember, I haven't flown in a long time. Um, I just got away from it when, I, when, when we started having kids and um, other priorities came in. But, um, you know, I always remember, you know, when you go out to fly, especially in a small plane, you get in, you do your checklist, you walk around the airplane, you check all the instruments, you check the ailerons and you check the flaps and you take all that stuff. And there's kind of some, you know, we don't necessarily do that in healthcare. So you don't, you know, a surgeon doesn't walk into the operating room and check all the equipment out. You just assume that everything works. And then when you're in the middle of a surgery and something doesn't work, then, you know, then what happened? And so I think that there's a lot of lessons that could be learned from healthcare or from flying in healthcare. Yeah. There, there's no question that's influenced the way you think about analytics and improvement, right. you know. Um, the other thing, you know, when you reflect back on your career, and I've just had a unique view of your growth over the last probably two to three years, is you've went from uh, a family phys- physician all the way up to the highest ranks of the organization. And I thought it would be a good question for you to think about what's been the most rewarding piece of that. And I'm not talking about the medical side of this. I'm talking about the leadership side of this, Patrick. What's been the most rewarding part of your leadership growth um, from practicing medicine all the way up to executive um, level leadership? And then also would like to hear your thoughts on that's, that hasn't been easy. So what's been the most challenging piece of that journey? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think I've had a unique journey in that, you know, I started out, so my, my journey at community, I started out at community as a family physician, uh, just practicing full time. And when we implemented Epic in 2012, got involved in optimization and became the physician lead for optimization. Um, went to, went to Ep- I was asked to go to Epic to, be, to become a physician builder, which was early on in that program that Epic started. And so I got, you know, training and under the hood of how Epic worked. And, and then that optimization led through or in, um, expanded into workflow optimization, obviously leveraging the EMR. I became the medical director of informatics. Uh, that expanded and we expanded the role of um, to lead patient care redesign, which was really a, a large, larger scale uh, workflow optimization program. Um, became the vice president of, trans- of clinical transformation, and then the, uh, shortly thereafter, senior vice president for clinical strategy, overseeing our product lines. Got heavily involved in population health and growth, and in the clinical variation. And then uh, last December was named the chief analytics officer for the network. So, you know, I've had a unique, unique pathway. Um, I think one of the things that I've tried to always do is. Um, not limit myself in terms of where my uh, areas of knowledge or learning might be. So I feel like sometimes my pathway is taking me that way because I do have a unique understanding of value-based care, clinical variation, process improvement. I understand analytics. I understand how the EMR works. And I think that's when you look across the country and you look at other uh, folks in that role, might be a CMIO or, or you know physician executive, um, I think th- they, those folks have the same uh, skills and knowledge base um, to really kind of see across the system outside of a silo and um, 
I, I think the fact that I still practice, I still see patients one day a week also allows me a unique perspective. And I, so to answer your question, what's been most rewarding, it's always rewarding when you can see the administrative work that you do tying back to the clinical work. And when you see programs that you've led or implemented um, and as an administrator, and now you see those being executed on the clinical side, it's always rewarding. You know, I, I look back too, and I look at the the improvements that we've had and or, uh, organizational improvement that um, I was talking to somebody yesterday about the the sheer number, the, the amount of dollars of waste that we've taken out of the system. And if you do the math, hard and soft dollars, we're in the last three years, we're over close to $60 million that we of waste that we've taken out of the system. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's been a team effort. It's been, you know, a lot of the performance improvement team, a lot of the OP managers, obviously analytics, clinical leadership has been involved in that. It's truly been a team effort of community, but I think that's very rewarding. Um, I've also had, uh, we've also focused a lot on clinical decision support and some of the alerts and the burnout and the fatigue that clinicians have, not only doctors, but nurses. And, you know, we look at the system, we've taken out uh, over 10 million alerts in the system. And that, that is uh, rewarding as well to know that, you know, that we're not contributing to physician burnout and fatigue. Yeah. Yep. Last question. I'm watching the clock. Who, who do you think of that's been an influential leader for you? If you were to reflect back on, has there been any influential leaders in your life that you could think of that has really helped shape you as a leader? Well, since we're almost out of time, why don't we save that question for the next episode? <laughs> I, like, I like what you did there. Because I'm going to ask you the same question. Okay. So. All right. All right. Until episode four, we'll leave you a little cliffhanger. See you next time.